Welcome to the Craft of Shadows podcast, based on the novel The Jewel of Nineveh by Dewish Basiti. Discover new content and subscribe to receive updates at craftofshadows.com. Now, on with the show. Chapter 22 The Army Attacks Survivors of the day later said the onslaught began with a tortured, inhuman roar that exploded from the camp of the Nineveh army and shook the foundations of Ur itself. Simultaneous attacks began at each great cardinal gate as catapults hurled wagon loads of bricks and stones salvaged from the farm buildings the engineers of Nineveh had busily demolished. Trebuchets hoisted tar-soaked bundles of fur and hay that were lit seconds before soaring high into the air and crashing down on the troops manning the battlements. The bundles exploded on impact as their hidden cargo of clay pots shattered, spilling forth a secret bituminous resin that burned like hell's own inferno and could not be doused by water. The ballistae were aimed with the greatest precision, each of the army's commanders taking personal charge as the huge crossbows were wound by pulley teams and the iron-tipped bolts the height of fruit trees, were heaved into the firing channel and made ready. The locking pin was struck away with a hammer and the massive bolts thrilled forward, arcing gently through the air and smashing into the watchtowers above the great gates. Each strike of each bolt shattered stones and within minutes, Men were fleeing the towers as they began to collapse. The salvos boomed through the streets and lanes as the black pall of the flaming vitriol rolled down over the rooftops and seeped in through the windows, choking and burning the lungs of any who inhaled it. The guards on the watchtowers, receiving no reinforcements from behind, nor orders for action, fell back against the onslaught of the awful weapons, tears streaming from bloodshot eyes down blackened faces as they struggled for breath and they deserted their posts. More flaming bundles flew clear over the mighty walls and crashed into the rooftops of the lower city. Flames and smoke spreading quickly through dry timbers and straw. The guards stumbled through the streets, as wild and panicked as the screaming common folk, all fleeing for higher ground and escape from the gag-inducing fog. The lower city was abandoned by all, stray cats and dogs choking and falling to lie stiff and still and the first line of the interior walls of the city, the ancient limits of Ur, ten generations before, were barred and bolted. Sturdy as they were, 
They were built for times when the city needed protection from the slings and spears of bandits. They would be scant defence against the weapons that now ravaged the fortified city walls without answer for, from the Sultan's forces. The people cried out for the army, but all around them the soldiers retreated higher and higher into the city, falling back to the impregnable fortress of God's finger. The population screamed in frenzy at the betrayal, hurling stones at the barricades the soldiers used to hold back the crowds, receiving spear jabs in return. The rats, a tide of them, skittered downstairs and drains and keening to their fleeing brethren, sought refuge in the sewers. With them crawled the poor and the destitute, huddling together in the darkness. Hundreds of them, teeth chattering in fear and clutching to strangers in their desperation. The dampness of the sewers sucked in the pall of the dark smoke and it trickled down the walls, even its ashy residue proving corrosive to the touch. People screamed as they tried to feel their way to safety, only to find their palms and their fingertips searing with pain. Their wailing echoed down the low, arched tunnels. From the deepest recess of the tunnel network, the light from torches bobbed and weaved, and men and women, hooded in black, came from the shadows, bade the refugees follow them, and led them down through the twisting warren and into the candlelit halls of the Thieves' Guild. The King of Thieves welcomed them all, the forgotten flotsam of the city. The locked vault was opened and the deep store of food and wine and medicine brought forth. Bandages were tied for those that had been burned by the acid, clean water for all as they coughed the ash from their lungs. In time, as they grew silent and recovered, fruit and meat and bread were laid out and the wretched and the diseased sat amongst the thieves and assassins and took their meal together. The black hoods were aided by an old man with broken hands who piloted a marvellous mechanical construction that thundered through the tunnels under the city, burying those who could be moved to safer locations and bringing water and medicine to those who could not. For hours the railway rumbled in the dark the clamour of its whistling a signal for relief for the refugees. Manu, a word in private, the new right hand of the King of Thieves, his rank confirmed by the red ribbon tied around his right wrist, led Manu to the booth used for contract briefings. He drew the curtain around it and stood so close that the peaks of their cowls touched. I've received an urgent message from a man who claims to have been Simak's conduit to the Grand Vizier. Do you believe him? The man trembles and sweats in uncontrollable fear 
that bring pity even to my hardened heart. Such a man does not lie unless driven in fear of his life. Such a man would likely be a tool of the vizier. Very well, what message does he bring? A parcel and a letter and a message, only to be exchanged from lip to ear. The message is this, I summon you now to perform the task as arranged before the sun has set. And the items? They are here, an officer's uniform for the Sultan's guards and a permit signed by the Grand Vizier himself that the bearer of the document is performing a task of utmost importance and must not be impeded in any way on pain of death. Manu nodded, his lips set in a tight line. Then I must leave now. Only a few hours remain. A ribboned hand stayed his wrist. Manu, we are tending to the needy down here, but know that if you ask it, I can send many to aid you. I do not know what you are about to do, but I honour my king and know that you have his trust. There are many here who feel the same way. Manu's jaw loosened slightly. This is something best done as quietly as possible. Have you seen my apprentice, Jung? He was attending the king a few moments ago. Seek for him there. Manu slipped out of the curtained booth. His left hand twitched sporadically, and the last two fingers were numb. He drew one of his small wrist knives and pricked the tip of his little finger. A fat drop of blood glistened in the candlelight cast by the chandelier high above, but he had not felt the blade enter. He cursed softly under his breath, pulled a glove over the hand, then climbed up on the stage where the king of thieves was taking some food, seated on the throne and talking quietly with Jung. Manu bowed to the king, who nodded in reply. It is happening now. Arshan has sent for me. There is nothing I can say but to wish you good luck. Beware of him, though. You are most likely walking into a trap or one of a hundred other twisted schemes. Manu nodded. I know. He laid his blue steel knife on the floor beside the throne, untied the katara from his thigh and placed it beside the knife. The two flat wrist blades followed them and his arm guards were unbuckled and joined the pile. He laid a hand on his weapons before wrapping a knuckle against the black sheath of the King of Thieves' Shamshir. Mind if I borrow this again? I can't promise that I'll be able to return it to you this time. I thought you didn't like swords, Manu. The situation merits one. Then by all means, I hope it serves you well. Manu picked it up and turned to his apprentice. Hey, kid, time to prove your worth. 
There are some very important things I need you to do for me. My neck depends on it. June bobbed his head excitedly. I won't let you down, even if I have to rescue my, you myself. Manu laughed and tousled his apprentice's hair. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. He turned back to the King of the Thieves and gazed into the dark brown eyes behind the mask. See you soon. Sir, they have abandoned the battlements. The commander was a seasoned warrior, the first touches of grey appearing at his temples, and had stared death in the face many times without flinching. Yet standing before General Musa, he always felt his breathing quicken and his palms grow damp. The men worshipped the general and called him the Lord of War. He'd led them in countless victories, but he had also gone hungry just like them when food was scarce and had walked alongside them when the horses were needed to carry the wounded back from an engagement. His rage was legendary, as was his contempt for weak men. The commander had served loyally and bravely to gain his rank under General Musa. Yet every day, watching his hero, he felt unworthy to be in his presence. I can see that. Now tell me why. Their two horses faced the great north gate of Ur, just a few seconds trot from the studded timbers themselves. They should have been under a black storm of arrows, but they stood in the eerie silence, broken only by occasional muffled crashes as some fire-weakened structure beyond the wall collapsed. Truly, I, I cannot, sir, but I fear it can only be an ambush. Our forces are impressive, and the siege attack was perfectly orchestrated but we should have met some resistance. They even failed to use their own war machines. They ran like frightened children. General Musa scratched at his chin, fingers deep into his bristling beard. We have fought their forces before, countless times. They have many fine warriors, even commanders I respect with a good grasp of tactics and the art of war. This retreat baffles me. Their famous pride should have them pouring through the gates to engage us. There must be something else at work here, General. To abandon their greatest line of defence and expect to lure us into a trap is madness. They risk the of the whole city on such a path. I suspect it is no ambush, but that someone seeks to manipulate us. The letter I was sent was beyond idiocy, and I let my rage get the better of me. Still, if the hand that wrote it is the power in this city now, then my war is with him. I will give them a warning and a final chance. General Musa raised his hand and settled back in his saddle, 
to watch the elephants stomp past, swirling their own dust cloud. Two rows of the enormous beasts, four on each side, chained together like a plough team. Slung between the two rows was a massive battering ram, and a team of men toiled after it with the pool rope. Break it down. The team of men heaved on their rope, and the ram rocked back to its fullest extent, then swung forward when the rope was released. A dull cracking noise as wood splintered, but the gates held. Again and again, the ram was launched at the door, groaning beams and shivering multi-layered wood growing louder at each shuddering impact. General Musa looked along the battlements, expecting the silhouettes of archers or of vats of burning oil to be winged over, anything to defend the city gates. He threw his head back and cursed their cowardice to the hails of his men, his voice echoing off the stone walls and with no reply from the mute city. The gate ruptured, huge pieces breaking loose under the final impact of the battering ram. The rope team cheered, and General Musa wrapped his knuckles on his breastplate and held out his fist to the men. The team slapped each other on the shoulders and threw punches in the air, proud to be under their general's gaze. Engineers began attaching chains to the exposed hinges and guiding the elephants back against the strain until the rest of the gate was torn from the walls. The sweating teams then laboured under the midday sun for an hour to clear the massive blocks of stone the defenders had placed there so recently. General Musa twitched his moustache as his impatience grew. With a growl, he smoothed back the whiskers. I'm taking a unit and going in there to see what is happening for myself. Sir, I beg you, send me in your stead. If this is a trap, we cannot surrender you to them. I can report everything to you, or if I am taken, ten more will rise to take up my place. You cannot so easily be replaced. General Musa smiled at his commander, brave and loyal, and an excellent tactical assessment. You are a good soldier. One thing you should remember is that you, that you cannot catch a lion with a rat trap, and these rats in Ur are trapped by us. They have seeded their walls without the toss of a single spear and are willing to have the city burned out from under their feet. I need to go in there and see why. Call up a battalion of cavalry. You and I enter with them. As you wish, sir. The commander raised a flag and whistled. A forest of spears and glistening horses thundered towards the general. He wheeled his destroyer around to face them. Men, we are taking a little foray into the city 
to better determine the cause of their strange behaviour. This is not a war sortie or a raiding party. Let me be clear. No man amongst you is to lose his spear nor draw his sword unless you have seen me do it first. Am I understood? Three hundred spears clashed against their master's breastplates, a ring of ascent through the afternoon air. General Musa grunted, his moustache and beard bristling in unison. He turned his horse around and, with head scanning calmly from side to side, led the battalion between the ruptured stone and torn metal that had once supported the impenetrable north gate of Ur. The buildings immediately inside the Great Wall were ruined by fire. Roofs caved in, doorways charred, and trails of soot spilled up the walls. The fires had spread further in, where flaming war machines had fallen from a height and crashed across streets knocking down walls and spreading more flames. As they rode deeper into the city, the buildings were abandoned, undamaged, but grey with the soot and ash that had swept over the city in the aftermath of the inferno. The secret bitumen of Nineveh could not be extinguished by water. It burned so brightly and consumed all it touched so rapidly that the fires did not last long enough for the winds to carry them across the city, only the corrosive ash that fell like a evil snow. General Musa saw thin figures in the shadows of doorways, shivering and with dirty faces. It appeared not all had abandoned their homes, but there were few in number. The cavalry pressed on, rising higher in the city, and save for the occasional peasant who would flee shrieking on seeing them, no soldiers or guards of any kind were found. General Musa scowled as he pondered the kind of cowards that would leave their city defenceless against such brazen intruders. Higher they rode until they stopped at the barred gates the mid-wall. The boundary between the lower city and the upper. General Musa expected to see it crowded with spears and crossbowmen, but it was the darting eyes and chattering teeth of common folk armed with broom handles and farm tools. Go, go away! One man braver than his peers snatched up a rock and hurled it at General Musa. It clanged against his breastplate, then fell to the ground. Three hundred hands readied spears, then froze as no movement came from the general. The first man of Ur with a backbone. Sir, I salute you. What do you want? Where are your soldiers, the army that should be protecting you? Why are you forced to defend your families and your homes with only rocks at your side? The damned sultan ordered all his troops to fall back to his palace 
The soldiers said it could never be taken, and a year's worth of food is stored there. We've been left here to die. General Musa wrinkled his brow. Bold young man, I've come here to make war on soldiers, not bakers and tailors. Spread the word amongst the common people. Unless the jewel of Nineveh is delivered to me by dawn, I will occupy this city. I will claim it as a vassal nation of Nineveh. Then I will brick up the entrance to God's finger and leave all those scoundrels to starve to death together. The common people of Ur have nothing to fear from me. Do you understand? The man lowered his staff and nodded. I'll spread the word. I do not think you will find many here that have any love left for our rulers in the sky. Young man, know that our lives are defined by the actions we take. You defended a wall abandoned by your leaders, armed only with sticks and stones. Today, you are a peacemaker and a leader for your people when they have none. If I am forced to take this city, seek me out and I will place you in a position of influence. For there your bravery and compassion will be needed most. The young man flushed and bowed, then disappeared behind the wall. Back to the camp, I've learned all I need to. Their faces bright with admiration for their general, the battalion trotted down the empty wide avenues, clattering hoofs on stone-lined street, through the shattered gates and back to the camp. You were correct, sir. The commander's gaze was downcast and he ground his teeth. Correct about what? When you said you must lead us there today. I would not have spoken to that man as you did. I would have taken him for a knave. Then you would have judged only the man and you would have missed his actions. I understand that, sir. I just doubt myself worthy to hold my rank. Had I gone in your place, as I had desired, I would have made things worse, stirred up the smouldery hatred those peoples bear us, and maybe even endangered our men. Of all my commanders, only you are born of Nineveh. The other are from across the world, from Nubia, Kemet, and from the north. Each of them came to me as a soldier of fortune. The reason you are from Nineveh is pure chance. My men are selected because their actions draw them to my eye, as yours have done. I think I understand, sir. You have long been in my retinue and I have been pleased with your service. If you confront each mistake, each lapse of judgment, or each moment of poor performance as you have here, if you wrestle with it and master it and cast it down, that is the action of a true leader, and I need such men at my side. Thank you, sir. Let us speak no more of it. Gather my other commanders, 
and we will prepare for the worst. The worst? The worst eventuality. That tomorrow this war becomes an invasion. That we will take her as a captive nation. That we will endure generations of abuse and hatred between conqueror and slave. Such a thing would become the darkest chapter in the sad history of our cities. Voices were raised, harsh and angry, and behind them the crying of women and children. The major in the sultan's army pushed his way through the mob, elbowing an old woman aside and striking down with a single blow a man who tried to block his path and who had the temerity to jostle the officer's red cap of authority. He smoothed back a lock of long black hair that had fallen over one eye, then retied his military ponytail and replaced his cap. Move those spears aside, you imbecile, and help me over the barricade. The major's snarl startled the young soldiers manning the defences outside the government buildings. Yes, sir. Of course, sir. They forced aside the beams, making a small gap in the defence line, and then thrust their spears at the people who surged forward and tried to follow the major through. The screams of rage as the mob at the barricade protested the injustice faded from the ears of the major as he marched under the tall arches and through the barbican. Chin up and chest out, he strode past a pair of guards who snapped to attention and saluted him as he passed. He approached the final checkpoint at the base of God's finger. More guards stepped forward to question him, but he waved them away without a glance and marched imperiously onward. The major began the long ascent of the helicoid stairway and his light steps took him past short files of soldiers, all going up. The stairs were broadest at the outside, little more than a toehold by the axis, but he moved quickly up the narrow inside spiral, his shoulders brushing those of broader men climbing the outer route. Between the rows of soldiers, a few fortunate townsfolk had escaped the chaos beneath them and were gratefully carrying heavy baskets on their heads, filled with heaps of fruit, squawking chickens, bottles of wine, fireworks and spools of red ribbons. Nobles also ascended the long stairway, dressed in their finest clothes of celebration, twitching their gowns up so they didn't catch on the steps and wrinkling their noses at the peasants and soldiers alike. The major stepped out into the late afternoon glow of the Bailey courtyard. Barely a few feet of the sandy floor was visible as a regiment of soldiers in full battle regalia stood shoulder to shoulder, their spears firmly planted, a wall of steel defending the palace gates. The peasants with the foodstuffs were guided to a sideway, low and unadorned, where they could make for the kitchens 
and the rooms that served the banqueting hall. The nobles, representing each of the great houses, were deferentially interrogated, their invitations examined in detail, then escorted through the narrow channel in the formation of soldiers. With a trumpet flourish, they were announced and disappeared through the grand entrance of the palace, the light mist of an incense burner refreshing them after the proximity of the proletariat. The officer was stopped by a mail-shod hand on his chest, a dark-featured man of middle years, a smudge of soot on his cheek, marking his sistry in the streets below. Halt, where do you think you're going? Out of my way, I'm on an urgent mission. The major tried to push the hand off his chest, but the wrist was inflexible and the hand tightened to a grip on the front of his tunic. Out of my way. That's out of my way, sir. You're on your way to disciplinary hearings, Major. Sorry, sir, my mistake, Colonel. I was rushing and not looking where I was going. The Major saluted smartly, his chin held high. The Colonel scowled and walked around the Major, hands held behind his back, scrutinising him. You don't look familiar to me. Can't say I've ever seen your face around here. I'd have thought, if you'd asked me before, that I knew the name and face of every man of major rank and above in the service of His Majesty's army. He stopped his patrol and peered up the couple of extra inches to the major's poised and steady face. I think that if I don't know you, with a war at our door, and hundreds of nobles streaming through for the wedding, you're up to no good. In fact, that will make you either a spy or an assassin. Am I right? He waved forward two armed soldiers who took up position either side of the officer. Search him. The major's black sheathed shamshir was taken from him and handed to the colonel. The soldiers ran their hands up and down the Major's uniform, smoothing the cloth so that nothing could have been concealed. They ran their fingers around the top of his boots to check for hidden knives, and they turned over his red cap and felt inside. Only when they patted down the front of the tunic did they hear a rustle of parchment, which they pulled out and handed to the Colonel. Secret orders, huh? Exactly, sir. What? The colonel's nostrils flared in anger. Please read them, sir. The major remained stationary throughout the encounter, his face impassive, his back straight and his chin jutting forward. Spluttering, the colonel unfolded the parchment and scanned it. His eyes widened and a red patch formed in the middle of his forehead. Special orders? Yes, sir. Now you understand the consequences for both of us 
and for the whole city if I am prevented from carrying on with my duties immediately. The Major saluted sharply and held out his hand. The Colonel folded the parchment, placed it in the waiting palm and returned the confiscated sword. What unit are you with, Major? The Colonel stepped in close, his lips right by the Major's ear. I'm not at liberty to say, sir. Security precaution. I'm sure you'll understand. Gah, soldiers, escort the Major through to the palace. It is imperative he is allowed to pass unhindered. The soldiers and the Major passed ranks of armed men and through the main gate of the palace. The colonel pushed back his helmet and scratched the exposed strip of damp, matted hair. Security unit. Damn cloak and dagger boys. Always in the shadows and never out in the light where real men fight. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Craft of Shadows podcast. More details at craftofshadows.com. Copyright 2020, Dewish Pasiti and Victor Publishing. Title music by Turku, Nomads of the Silk Road, at turkumusic.com.